For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Melat Bekele. I'm Philip Wong. You are listening to Daybreak. This summer, Prince staffers have been sharing about their summers around the world. Today, I want to share a few stories from the reading program I taught this summer for kids. And I'll be sharing about my summer in Eastern Africa. It's Sunday, September 4th. Exploring in the East of Africa, a summer of embrace. As I was packing for the summer, I was full of excitement and nerves, and I completely underestimated what it meant to be living out of a suitcase for a full three months. After only a few days at home, I was off to Kenya for six weeks as part of Swahili 105K, Intensive Swahili. This was my first time in Africa outside of Ethiopia, and it was a chance for me to explore other East African cultures apart from my own in a unique way to learn about the differences and similarities that make East Africa such a beautifully rich and diverse cultural hub. Living there felt natural and familiar, almost like a distant home. Although we were busy with class and travels, I felt like I was able to experience life outside of just the context of being a Princeton student for the first time in a while. Going out with friends from across the world, spending time with new people from school I wouldn't have met otherwise, and traveling around the country made me feel like I was on vacation, despite the many hours we spent in class. This immersive way of learning Swahili for the first time was incredible. To see everything we were learning in the classroom actually come into use immediately was something I had never experienced before. Being able to communicate with a whole new group of people and making that the focus of my studies emphasized the importance of human interaction and intentionality throughout the summer. While Kenya was a time of personal growth, I must note that the program did overlook its black students from administration to my peers. I'm confident that my non-black counterparts use this opportunity to learn about other cultures and reflect on their personal biases, but to have learned this at the expense of the black students was extremely harmful. After enduring many racialized comments, white saviorism, entitlement, ignorance, and a general lack of respect, it was almost enough to push me, an African, out of the program in Africa. It was only towards the end of the trip when students did some self-reflection and critical thinking about the role they played in the program and in African studies at large. Through the process, I did not feel as valued in the program because at its core, these lessons were not directed for students that look like me. I can only hope that Princeton in Kenya reflects and makes some changes to avoid such harm in the future for this program. By keeping this in mind with focused points of action and improvements, I think the program can definitely be the best study abroad program Princeton has to offer. I was in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia with my family until the end of August, and this gave me the opportunity to explore more about my personal heritage and cultural traditions in a way I haven't been able to when I visited in the past. My favorite part of this trip was when we went to Dredoa and Harar, two neighboring cities where my mom's family is from, for the first time. Not only did I meet so many of my relatives that I had come to only know by name, but I even learned about our distinctive personality traits that seem to have spread across the family. I miss the freedom I had in Kenya to explore myself and who I am outside of my usual environment, but Ethiopia has given me the chance to explore who I am in the context of my larger family. While it definitely hasn't been the smoothest ride for either trip, I'm happy with what I've been able to learn from them. Books, Kids, and Connect Four This is the stupidest thing I've ever read. 
a student blurted out. I was speechless. Then I laughed. When I asked the class how they genuinely felt about Don Quixote, I should have expected that. Over the years, many parents have asked me how to get their kids into reading. In June, I tackled that question by starting Philp's Book Club, a series of classes for students between 5th and 8th grade focused on discussions and applications. One of the class's favorite activities was during the strategy unit. After reading excerpts from The Art of War, I presented a manual that adapted Sun Tzu's work into an exhilarating game of Connect Four. One of the youngest in my class engaged very well with the game, but to my dismay, not with the readings. He told me curtly, these laws are all common sense. And in all fairness, he was a very talented Connect Four player. In my last game with him, he made a brilliant move that left me in a lost position. I realized that it was a great opportunity to give Sun Tzu's all warfare is based on deception mantra a try. Mmm, I murmured with arched brows and despairing eyes. And with that concluded, I guess there's nothing I can do. I watched his habitual frown curl into a smile, and he could barely contain his excitement. Wait for it, I thought as I held on to my piece. Let him get a bit more worked up. He was squirming and toiling in his chair now. Right as I dropped my piece, he went in for the decisive blow, only to realize he had missed a simple, direct, and easily stoppable Connect Four by me. In his post-class survey for that week, all he wrote was, I'm gonna beat you. A few students were becoming too formulaic with their answers. So once after reviewing The Cop and the Anthem, a short story by O'Henry in the satire unit, I went around the room and asked every student about the importance of a very, very minor detail. A big rock that was used to break the glass of a display window. The first few students shook their heads and said they didn't know. But when I asked them, is it important? They answered, yes, but with great hesitation. A couple of students made a labyrinth of ungrounded claims, agreeing and piggybacking off of each other's theories, all for the sake of connecting the rock to the main themes of the reading. Then the last student, my habitual cynic, said with his usual distaste, I don't think it's important. It's just a dumb question. The other students looked at him, horrified that he just insulted me, their teacher, and O'Henry. I laughed. For once, in a literary discussion, the crude, obvious answer was right. It's extremely interesting to have 5th graders in the same class as 8th graders. I put them in the same class because I wanted to see how they would see the world differently. Or if they see the world differently. Many people think older students are, by default, smarter than younger students. These kids taught me that wasn't exactly the case. The fifth graders were not afraid to ask, why and what if? And the eighth graders were way too eager to answer, because and it isn't. The older students knew more vocabulary words, name dropped more literary terms, and had more knowledge of the world in general. But the younger students far surpassed them in their awe. Not only were they more curious, 
but that curiosity was filled with a mix of genuine fear and wonder. I still don't have a great answer to how do I get my kids to read, but I think there are a thousand ways to try and keep reading challenging, exciting, and a bit less of a chore. I rarely had a unit that was unanimously loved or hated. With the science fiction unit, the more some students hated it, the more the other students loved it. Stepping into the role of a teacher after only being a student all my life made me question my own reading habits and limitations. Something I've been told from sixth grade English class to Princeton precepts is to try to stay on topic, please. Staying on topic is time savvy, but I have always felt it fetters the imagination and the weird connections that can lead to unexpected breakthroughs. We make some of our greatest discoveries and most meaningless conversations this way. I plan to keep it creative and continue making those unpreceptible connections, maybe even four at a time. Today's episode was written by Mela Spakella and Philip Wing, sound engineered by Hope Perry, and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Print. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 2022, and our show was started by Mark Dodici, class of 2022. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Philip Wong. And I'm Mela Spakella. Have a wonderful day.